Thanks, Joseph. Good morning to everybody. Isn't it great to be here today? Beautiful days outside and uh, just wonderful inside. So good to be together. We appreciate it so much. We're going to, I took a break last Sunday from our series on the devil's worst day and uh, talked about Mother's Day. Hope that was meaningful for you and helpful. I hope that encouraged us in our study along that line. Today, I want us to get back into that series in the devil's worst day. Now, we've talked about several days already that we could highlight and say, yeah, the devil had a really bad day that day. For instance, probably the worst day he had up until the coming of Jesus, but even maybe beyond that was when he tried to usurp God's authority and, and, and was expelled from heaven. But then we talked about the devil in Eden. He thought he was, he was able to pull mankind away from God and getting them into sin, but God said, I'm going to send a savior. We talked about the flood when he had been successful in leading almost every single human being into sin and so that God looked upon humanity and he was, he was sorry that he had made them because the thoughts and intents of their heart were only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6. But the devil, but, but God found a righteous man, Noah, and spared humanity and gave humanity a new start. Cleansed the world through the flood of the evil that had existed there. Another bad day for the devil. Another bad day. We talked about Job and where God gave the devil upon his request some latitude to work Job over spiritually. And Job, though, stayed strong in his faith before God. Never sinned against God, at least not verbally. Another bad day for the devil. He failed again. Well... The devil, as we pointed out, is our worst enemy. He is our mortal enemy. He's seeking our eternal condemnation. And he's mean, he's deadly, and he's determined. We need to understand, and we could, we could get our, our mindset kind of, of condition to just sort of yeah, nudge aside any bad feelings or most bad feelings about the devil because our, our, our culture today in this country and around the world has become so far removed from godliness to such a great extent that we might think, oh, it's not that big a deal, the devil, a lot of that's just fallacy, a lot of that's just, you know, myth or made up, you know, people trying to work on people's emotions. Now, we're talking about reality here. He is mean, he is deadly, there's nothing good about him, and he is absolutely determined to try to lead us away from God by leading us into sin. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, as we keep emphasizing, the apostle Peter describes him as, as being an adversary who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he says, resist him steadfast in the faith. In fact, he says, be sober, be vigilant, be on guard, be alert always, because the devil uses all kinds of devices to try to lead us away from God, to try to lead us into eternal condemnation and sin. The devil works to lead mankind away from God and into sin, and thereby, if he can hold us in that sin, he doesn't have to make us atheists just so he can keep us in a sinful lifestyle, then he's got us, and we're talking about heading ultimately into eternal condemnation in hell. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 8, John the apostle wrote, he who sins is of the devil. Now, I think, again, 
the verbs from the original Greek are not translated real well into the English in this particular text in 1 John. But the idea there is he who keeps on sinning or keeps on living in a lifestyle of sin, I believe is what we're to understand, is of the devil. For the devil was, has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then in verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not pr- practice righteousness is not of God, and he who does not love his brother. So how do we see somebody who is living a righteous life before God? He's not living a sinful life. And if we're living in sinfulness, disobedience, unfaithfulness, then that identifies us as walking with the devil. Now that would bother a lot of people, but we're talking about reality. We're talking about the fact of the matter. It's not complicated, really. It's not rocket science. We're either walking by God's word, following that as our guidebook through life, trying to be obedient to it to the best of our ability or else we're walking away from God. We're walking with the devil and, and, and going along with his lead. And it, it's crucial because sin ultimately brings us death, both physical and spiritual. We die physically going all the way back to the Garden of Eden because God removed that man and woman, humanity, from the tree of life in the garden by expelling them from the garden because of their sin. And so physical death became a reality. But spiritual death also became a reality because sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59 and verse 2. In James chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, James wrote along this line, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now we all struggle with certain desires, sinful desires, don't we? And the devil knows what those are. And so he keeps hammering at us in those particular areas of our weakness. And so there's where, again, John says, be diligent, be vigilant. Your adversary, your enemy is always out there looking for a way into your life and to try to lead you away from God and into sin. And Paul wrote in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but we don't have to resign ourselves to that. We can repent and come to God through Jesus Christ. And the rest of that verse says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have to make up our minds. And James puts it this way in James 4, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. Sometimes we have to come to the reality. We have to come to the realization that in some situations in life, we just have to submit to whatever those authorities are or whatever that situation is. We have to make up our mind. Okay, that's the way it is. I have to deal with that in a forthright manner, whatever it is before me. All kinds of situations in life are like that. We can beat our head against a wall a lot of times and not get anywhere except a headache. But ultimately we have to say, hey, I need need an income. Okay, I'm gonna have to get a job. Now we would look at that and say, "That's, that's really fundamental, isn't it? But a whole lot of people, they don't seem to quite have that reality in their mindset yet. But we could look at it in all kinds of different ways as well. 
Somebody becomes very ill and they're really struggling with their health. They're getting worse and worse. They don't like to go to a doctor though. Well, ultimately they've got to come to the realization, I've got to go see a doctor because I need help. I need something, medication, surgery, something. I need some help here, medical help. And so they've got to resign themselves to that fact. On the, on the greatest scale of reality that's going to have the greatest consequence for each one of us personally is that spiritual scale. And James says, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. We need to walk with God. We've got to come to that reality. We can't skirt the issue. We've got to make up our minds and come to God. Now, the devil wants us to go in the other direction, away from God. He wants us to live in sinfulness on an ongoing basis. But as we've seen, as hard as he works on us, the devil has had many bad days. And we referred to some of them just a few moments ago. Now, after failing to usurp God's throne, and imagine trying to re rebel against God and take heaven over. In prehistory of mankind, I think we're to understand, the devil tried that, but he failed. And when we look at Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, as we've looked at early in this particular study, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. In other words, they lost. Nor was a place found them in heaven, found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and the angels, his angels were cast out with him. So there is where we could look back and say, where did evil from the perspective of humanity begin? Back there when the devil tried to take over God's throne and he lost big time. And he was expelled from heaven. And so we could say, wow, that's got to be the worst day the devil has ever experienced up to this point in time. And I'd say probably you're right. At least it would be one of the worst of two. But that was a really, really bad day for the devil. And so how does he try to get back at God? He goes for God's most special creation. And that's us human beings, because God created us unique from everything else that he created. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the birds of the air and, and so on and so forth over all the rest of all of the life forms that he created, basically over the world. So God created us in his own image with a soul, a spiritual being within our physical bodies that goes on after the physical body dies and wastes away. And so God made us different. God made us unique. And we need to recognize that. But the devil, he can try, he couldn't take over heaven. But he keeps trying to hurt God by pulling his most special creation, you and me, created in God's image to have an eternal relationship with him in heaven. He keeps trying to pull us away from God. 
And that's the only way he can get back at God. So we need to always be on guard. We always need to be alert. And the devil's been pretty successful, hasn't he? All we have to do is look around us and see that. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 19, John the Apostle wrote, We know that we are of God, that is Christians, true Christians, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now that's quite a sweeping statement. The whole world lies under the sway of the devil. Now, but even though that he's been quite successful, God sent Jesus as our redeemer and savior. The devil is not all powerful. He cannot make us sin. He cannot make us disbelieve in God. He cannot make us go back and forth between sinful lifestyles and righteous lifestyles. That's our choice. Our choice. Remember the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 that God will not allow us. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. So God, God promises, I will be there with you. No matter what the devil may throw at you, no matter what life may challenge you with, I will be there with you as long as you walk faithfully with me and obediently with me. God sent the Savior into this world in the physical form of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is there with God, God the Son in heaven as our advocate, as, as our, and the text tells us our our elder brother from a spiritual perspective and in a spiritual sense, right there. And he's there pleading our case for God. In John chapter three and verse 16, perhaps the most familiar verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we read also a parallel in Romans five and verse eight. Paul uses different wording, but it's really saying the same thing. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what's the wages of sin again? Death. James 1, 14 and 15, Romans 6, 23, sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, what did God do for us? He sent his son to die for us, to die in our place. When you think about Golgotha, the hill of Calvary, and those three crosses there, and the two, the two thieves on each side of Jesus, and Jesus in the middle, and the, mockering, uh, the mocking and the scoffing crowd, the ridiculing crowd of the one in the middle there, Jesus on that cross, all that crowd there. And you think about the Roman soldiers who were perf per performing the, the task or the execution uh, uh, task there about upon all of those three prisoners, the only one who did not deserve to be on that cross was the one on that cross right in the middle. And he went there willingly and lovingly because God was ready and Jesus was ready to pay the price of death for us. He died to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, for all of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, what an incredible verse. The Apostle Paul said, for God, that is he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How did, become, how did Jesus become sin for us? He didn't become a sinner. He was sinless. Peter talks about that. But even in human form, he became sin for us in that he bore all of our sins for all of humanity, for all time on this earth. He bore all of those sins on himself on that cross, paying the price for us, being the sacrificed savior for us. Now, so what can the devil do? He lost in the beginning. He lost in Eden. He lost at the flood. He lost with Job. What can he do? What can he do? Well, the only thing that the devil could do, or the most effective way for the devil to beat God, would be to stop the Redeemer and Savior. If he could just do that, if he could stop Jesus in that mission of being our Redeemer and Savior, then he could think, I've won. I've won. Now, not taking over God's throne, but I've won. I beat God. I lost in Eden. I lost in the flood. Almost had him there. I lost with Job when God let me work him over personally. But I lost there too. But if I can stop the Savior, if I can stop the Savior from coming into the world, I can beat God. Well, we come back to Revelation chapter 12. We look at the first couple of verses. Now a great, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with, with the sun. Now think about the imagery here. We're talking about apocalyptic literature, very image rich. And so a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And we're seeing the imagery here of spiritual Israel giving birth to the Savior child as he comes into this world. Now notice the text goes on beginning with verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a, th a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, those who followed him in the rebellion against God. And the dragon stood before the woman who is ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The devil. Now think about the imagery there again. Think about that imagery. The devil is portrayed as waiting for the Savior to be born and he's going to devour it going to destroy that child, not going to let it happen. But he failed again. The child was caught up to God in his throne. We read about that even after the crucifixion in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. We read about that in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. 
as the apostles after the resurrection, after he died on the cross, after he was entombed, after he rose from that grave, after he walked upon the earth for another 40 days, he ascended back into heaven with the apostles. Risen, but now it was time to go back to be with the father. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now think about the imagery again. Remember old King Herod. He got word that a savior was going to be born in Bethlehem. And he saw that as a threat to his position as king. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Then being divinely warned of a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Joseph being the legal, physical father of Jesus, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And then verses 14 and 15. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, until the death of Herod. So God, through an angel, warned Joseph, take your, son, take your little boy, your little child, flee to Egypt because the king, Herod, is going to try to kill him. An agent of the devil. Without realizing it, probably, but that's what he was. Remember that imagery back in, in, in Revelation 12, the first few verses. The dragon, the, we have him identified as being Satan in verses 7 through 9 of that text. And he's there ready to devour the child as he comes into this world. But he failed again. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. I want to read another verse of scripture from that, from that basic text in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and I want, to, want us to read verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. The devil, through Herod, tried to devour the Savior when he was born into this world. Ah, but it was another bad day for the devil. Didn't work. God stepped in, and the devil lost once more, one more time. But he wasn't finished yet trying to stop Jesus from fulfilling his mission as our Savior. We find Jesus as he's ready to begin his ministry upon this earth. He goes into the wilderness and he, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. We might think from a physical perspective and from a, a, an emotional point of view, he might have been at his weakest as far as we would think, if we had to go through that. And so who shows up? The devil. Afterward, he was hungry, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. But Jesus wasn't going to play his games. 
And he responded, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus responded to the devil's temptation with God's word, with scripture. But the devil wasn't finished. In verses five and six, he took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus again leaned on God's word. He said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the devil really was trying to tempt God at this particular point, seeing if he would fulfill his, his, his prophecy, that he would not allow a, a, a foot to be, of Jesus to be dashed against a stone, if he'd send his angels to rescue him. But the devil still wasn't finished on that occasion. And so in verses 8 and 9, again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now imagine how tempting that could be to us. And he said, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. If you will fall down and worship me, I will put you over all these kingdoms and all their glory. But in verse 10, Jesus responds, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus responded with God's word every single time the devil tempted him on that, in that wilderness. We can do the same thing. We're living in a wilderness of sin today. It's all around us, evil, wickedness, so on. The devil keeps throwing temptations at us, but we have God's word. We know how we can be guided to refute, to withstand those temptations, just as Jesus used God's word every single time in the wilderness on that occasion to put the devil down. He lost over and over again there. The devil did. There's no, it's no wonder that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, study or be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, God's word. Peter says we're purified as we obey God's word and are baptized into Christ, become Christians. We're purified as we obey God's word, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, Peter says. Jesus soundly rebuked the devil and he gave us the example of doing it by simply referring to scripture. And the devil left him. The devil left him. That really corresponds with what we've read over and over again that James wrote. Submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It corresponds exactly to that. Once again, the devil had another bad day. Another bad day. And as we said, James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, just, it's our direct instruction and encouragement that we can 
Remember how Jesus actually put that into practice. Did he need to come to God? He was, he's God the Son. But he gave us the example in human form by continually referring to God's word to beat the devil. Beat the devil three times in rapid succession right there. Now, the devil cannot beat us as long as we walk with God in faithful obedience. Can you imagine what those folks in Pentecost must have felt when they heard the gospel message of salvation being proclaimed to them by Peter and the other apostles in Acts chapter 2? Can you imagine what Gentiles who did not even know about God in many cases did not believe in God in, in almost all cases when they began to learn that they did not have to continue to follow a, a spiritual pathway of, mythologic, uh, of mythology and superstition, that there is a Savior. He has come. And you can come to Him. You can come to God through Him. And you don't have to, to bow down before images and statues and carvings. There is a God who is real and he sent his own son because he loves you so much to die for you so that you could be with him forgiven redeemed made new second corinthians 5 and verse 17 and have that promise of eternal life with him forever what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us not even the devil can match up to god's power in trying to bring us down. God will be there with us. Beginning with verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. And then when we look a little bit further, verses 38 and 39, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing, including the devil himself, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us that much. Now, we can walk away from God, but no outside force, including old Satan himself, can make us walk away from God. As long as we walk with God in faithful obedience according to his teachings, he will never let go of us, and we will defeat the devil. We will defeat the devil. Jesus came as our Redeemer and Savior. Fulfilling God's promise in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Teaching forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through him. There is nothing this world can offer that even begins to touch the hem of the garment of the magnitude and the wonderfulness of that promise that God offers us if we will come to him. When Jesus came as the Savior... You talk about a bad day for the devil. Using old King Herod to hopefully 
destroy him before he ever grows up. God stepped in, sent the angel, told Joseph, take him to Egypt. He did. Herod died. Jesus lived. And we can live through him. Oh, the devil had another really bad day. Really bad day. But we don't need to suffer to give him victory in our lives. If we will come to God through Jesus, if we will repent of our sins, Jesus said in Luke 13 and verse 3, if we will confess him before others before us, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, if we will surrender to him in baptism, Mark 16, 15 and 16, we will be forgiven. We will be saved. We will be reborn spiritually, made new. We will be assured of eternal life in heaven. If you need to come for whatever reason, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need to study, if you just step forward, let us know. We want to help you with that as we stand and sing.